Clay Christensen, 1952 to 2020, was a Harvard academic and business guru most famous for introducing the concept of disruptive innovation. But another big idea he left us was the theory of jobs to be done. Now, Chaya Driesen of A New Spring is applying this theory to learning. When Chaya explained how it works, I was a bit confused. Surely this is just common sense. Aren't learning designers doing this already? Turns out they aren't. Welcome to The Learning Hack, a podcast about the people and technologies creating the future of learning. I'm John Helmer. Now guess what? Learning is cool. Learning is cool. Learning is cool. I'm learning. Learning is fun. Knowledge is power. Knowledge. Education. The jobs-to-be-done approach encourages a focus on what your end user is trying to achieve when they access a product, service or experience of yours. As Professor Theodore Levitt put it, people don't want a quarter-inch drill, they want a quarter-inch hole. This comes out of marketing, but it translates pretty easily to the context of workplace learning where, by and large, people have jobs to be done and they want them to do them better. My guest this time thinks that we could learn a lot by applying this concept to learning. Kate Fitzgerald, Head of Fact. Tell us about him. Back facts. Claire Dreesen is learning innovation leader at A New Spring and a thought leader with more than 30 years experience on learning and development. He is also co-founder and consultant of the Challenge Leadership Development Academy and for the past 11 years has worked with the Association for Talent Development as a speaker, trainer and conference chair. Another of his passions is the life and work of the Dutch painter Brits Court Van Gogh, but whom Scher, although Dutch himself, follows North Americans in calling Van Gogh. If you're going to be pedantic about it, neither pronunciation is correct, but the authentically Dutch item does, let's face it, sound a bit like you're about to cough up something nasty in your hanky, so we'll let it go. See what you did there. So Jay Curtis, head of themes with your hair and glasses and stuff. What themes... Out of the jobs to be done concept. Claire gave you a pretty thorough explanation of its application to learning design, John. But you also talked about new attitudes and awarenesses L&D might need for this approach. You also talked about the technology dimension. And the AI dimension. You had to mention it, didn't you? Sorry, Jay, I forgot how triggering you find that particular two-letter acronym. Ever since you replaced me with an AI avatar. OK, get over it. <sighs> Chaya always has interesting things to say, so I went with his suggestion of jobs to be done as a subject with this podcast, even though I had doubts at first. It just seemed like common sense, what he was saying. A bit too blindingly obvious. But sometimes we really do need academics and business gurus from fancy business schools to inject a bit of common sense into what we're doing. Don't we? Great to have you on the podcast. Welcome to The Learning Hack. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Oh, well, it's great. We've wanted to do this for a while, so um, it's good to have you on the last. Uh, we're going to be talking about the jobs to be done framework today and how it can be applied to learning. But first, could you fill us in a bit on your own personal journey in learning? We've known each other over for a few years now uh, through the LPI and other things. And many people in learning will be aware of you through your thought leadership activities. Uh, you're a, evangelical presence but how did you 
get your start in this business and what first attracted you to become a becoming a learning professional? Yes, uh, in fact, it has been a, a long journey already, but uh, I enjoyed it uh, very much. So I started as a technical teacher uh, many years ago. And when I got my teacher uh, education, I really was interested and became more interested in learning psychology. So after finalizing, I started working as a teacher, but I also uh, went to a university in the evening to learn more about uh, psychology and learning. And I thought I wanted to become a learning designer then. But then I did a project uh, during my education at university. And we did an evaluation project. And we found out that uh, although the learning might be very well designed uh, as a learning product, the real impact uh, really depends on on the context in which it's used and uh, how good the support is in the context. So that was a very important lesson for me. So I uh, pivoted to more the OD side of uh, learning. And after graduation, I had a, uh, different jobs for 10 years as internal L&D professional. And the last one was at the Fuji Photo Film, where I was the training and development manager. And uh, I also learned a lot over there of the Japanese way of running a business. And that was very inspiring to me. Mm-hmm. Then after 10 years in the year 2000, I became self-employed within a company that I co-founded a few years before. Uh, I worked as a learning consultant and as a management trainer focused on leadership and soft skills development. And I was always interested in trends and technology related to learning, like to write articles about it uh, in different magazines and also do a uh, presentation on events. That way I met uh, the founders of a new spring and they asked me to join them um, to speak at conferences and to write, uh, to write articles and blogs for them. And so about six and a half years ago, I joined a new spring in that role part-time. So besides my work as an uh, um, the consultant and trainer. Thanks. So what is the jobs to be done framework? Where, where does it come from? Um, why do you think it is so applicable to learning? Yeah, it comes from uh, innovation literature and marketing and um what I always did in the in those uh, years and still do is I like to to scan uh, what kind of frameworks and approaches uh, are used in different industries and in different professions and try to see, okay, which one could be also useful and applicable uh, to learning. And so I uh, came across the jobs to be done, I think, five years ago and I thought it was very interesting. And... With that uh, focus of could it be something that would also be applicable to learning, I start to learn more about it and then uh, thought, yeah, th- there is something in here that uh, that really can be useful also for learning, for learning design. Can, can you sum it up for people what the approach is? I mean, there, there is, you know, there, there are kind of formulations of it which are really quite simple, like, you know, people who um, go out to buy a drill don't want to buy a drill. They want to buy a hole in the wall. Is that- yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the classical examples. And 
Sometimes people struggle a bit with uh, the different uh, type of language that is used in jobs to be done. But uh, if you know what is meant, it's it's rather easy. And uh, the idea is that uh, people, they trying to get progress in their lives. And to do so, they hire products or services. And uh, in jobs to be done, one says hires and not buys. Uh, Creighton Christensen uh, came up with that uh, phrase. So they uh, they hire products or services and try to maximize their gains and minimize their pains in getting their jobs done. Yeah. So it's throwing the emphasis on the job that has to be done rather than the other end of the process, as it were. You know, we're not making training courses here. We're helping people to do stuff that will... Exactly. ...their lives, yeah. At the top level, some of that seems quite blindingly obvious. Um, maybe it's, you know, to me that's the case because I've, I've been sort of absorbing this stuff in my work as a marketing and communications mm-hmm. professional. Yeah, uh, You do, you know, you have personas, you want to focus very heavily on the users and what they're trying to achieve, um, user benefits of products, um, yada, yada. So one might easily assume that learning designers are doing a lot of this stuff already. Um, and, you know, you have kind of design thinking workshop. Mm-hmm. People yeah. can empathize with their, with, their, with their kind of target learner. But clearly not if you feel it needs emphasizing. Can you comment on the situation in learning, uh, learning design specifically, I suppose, at present and how big a change adopting a jobs-to-be-done approach might represent for the industry? Yes, I think it's an, an extra layer or it, it, it makes it more specific. Like you say, uh, focusing on the, on the learner or the user with empathy and maybe the use of uh, personas uh, that's uh, quite well known these days. Mm. But what I really uh, find uh, or see there is that uh, in these cases, quite often empathy is applied uh, very general. Uh, when you look at personas. And what I really like about jobs to be done is that the empathy is much more focused. So you're not looking at the person, but you are looking at the person combined with the job that they are, uh, that they want to uh, achieve. And so that's the first one, that uh, empathy is more focused on the relation of the person and the job to be done or the task. And then the second one is that in jobs to be done, there is uh, the functional job to be done. Let's say that's the rational part. But then also there is a uh, focus on the social and the emotional aspects of uh, the job that has to be done. And I think that those are extra layers also that are very useful. So uh, bring social and emotional aspects of work and of learning uh, into consideration. And then the third one is that... Uh, also, the context is uh, included. If you write a, a clear job statement, then it always has a contextual clarifier. So it's also important, if you apply it well, that you think about, okay, the end user, in what kind of context and circumstances will she or he use my, um, my design? And that's also very important, I think. Okay. Yeah. It's in these um, details, these specifics of the framework, but I think it starts to get more interesting. Um, We mentioned empathy. That gets kind of a bit of a rough press from some people in some quarters. People complained about this. How can a 26-year-old learning designer 
lies <laughs> with somebody working on an oil rig. But this approach yeah. perhaps, um, what's the word, categorizes it in a way that's more interesting. So, you know, as you say, there are different types of jobs to be done, functional, emotional, and context or the consumption chain. Could you give us examples of, of each of those? I mean, obviously the functional one is, you know, fairly, fairly obvious. Um, yeah. I want to do this job and, you know, I'm a, bit, I'm a nurse or I'm a oil rig worker, whatever, um, and I, I want to do this particular task better, and, and that's the functional description. But give yeah. some examples of how it works on the emotional and contextual. Yeah, uh, the emotional and the social, they are both related to the functional. Yeah. And in fact, uh, what you are looking for is uh, with the emotional is how does a person feel while doing the functional job or just after doing the functional job? And um, I think when we are designing for uh, improvement at work, it's also good to have this uh, point of view to see, okay, not only um, is a person capable of doing the task after a training, but also does he or, or she feel um, confident en enough to really apply it in the context. Mm. And that's uh, maybe the, 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 the emotional part. And then the social part is um, how people are seen while they apply the functional job. So that's how other people uh, look at them. And it's about reputation, etc. So mm. if you learn something new and you go back to work and uh, your colleagues are around or a customer is around and you have to apply uh, a new kind of task, of course, you want to, to be seen as a professional who can uh, master the task but maybe you need a bit more uh, support or maybe a bit more training to get at that level. So we should take that into consideration in our learning design. Yeah, and I, I liked the example. I mean, the emotional part can sound a bit fluffy, maybe a bit woo, but if you put it in the context of, a, a, I liked an example you gave of a nurse who's um, taking blood tests, you know, mm -hmm. bottomist, and all, many of us will have had that done, had our bloods done, and the nurse does it. There is the functional job to be done, which is to get the blood out of the arm and, yeah. and you know, the test tube and, and off to the lab. But I, I think some of us might have had that uh, rather disconcerting experience of um, having blood taken by a nurse who is completely focused on the um, on the functional bit of the job and ends up hurting you by jabbing you with a needle in a bad way or when you're, you're least expecting it. So there are kind of em emotional contexts to a task like that, which mean that you you perform the function, but you know people don't have pain around exactly. it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, that yeah. can seem obvious, but it's very easy for medical professionals who, who are scientists of a sort to sort of not necessarily think about how it feels to have blood taken out of it. <laughs> You know, and there, there are comedy sketches I, I think of about that and so on. Yes, and, and, and building on that example, uh, for the uh, social job to be done that's related to that, I think people can imagine that uh, in these teams of people who take the blood samples, there is also always one person maybe that uh, is very good with children or with elderly people. And so that's then the go-to guy or go-to girl for when it uh, becomes harder with children or with, with other people. And that's, that's the reputation part. And so that's the social job to be done part of it in this example. Right. And, and how about the consumption chain? That feels a bit more harder perhaps to, 
Yeah, it's a bit farther away in the sense of when you uh, did a good analysis with uh, the functional job to be done and the social and uh, emotional, then you uh, start thinking about a solution that you want to design. Yeah. And then uh, um, the next thing to think about is, okay, if I want to go for this kind of solution, how easy or how hard will it be to have access to that solution at the end? So that's also part of the design process. So if we relate that, you know, a bit more specifically to to the world of learning tech and uh, learning systems, for instance, there you might be looking at how do people get to an online learning experience? You know, what, what does it feel? How is it served? Um, exactly. Or hey, when you want to take the concept of uh, learning in the flow of work, then you have to create yeah. that consumption chain job yeah, so that it's uh, really available in the flow of work. Okay. So speaking, of, you know, related to that, what is the role of technology in adopting a jobs to be done approach? I mean, I, I think it's interesting because these models have come about, you know, technology's had a, a big role in making us make things explicit, which in the old days of kind of in-person training, perhaps, were more implicit in the way that people were, were, were trained and taught. But once you're digitizing stuff, you have to have an explicit model for, for how to do it. Is that how that works with jobs to be done, do you think? Uh, yeah, that's one way to look at it. Uh, other way to look at it is that technology does not uh, play a role directly. And in many examples of uh, that are written in the books, uh, they say, for instance, Functional job to be done can be uh, you want to listen to your favorite uh, music while doing your workout. Yeah, maybe technology uh, gave us the mobile radio many years ago. And then later on, we got the Walkman. And then later on, we got uh, MP3 with separate MP3 players. But now it's on your, uh, it's streamed on your smartphone. So um, the functional job stays the same over the time. But the kind of solutions that give you the maximum of uh, gain and the minimum of pain, they change over time with technology. And so that's the innovation part of jobs to be done. But job, the job to be done, in essence, uh, stays quite the same. And the solutions vary depending on technology. I think it's a very interesting example, because if you think of the um, the way people relate emotionally to the way they get their music, you know, from vinyl, which has had a resurgence, yeah. and even more strangely for me, cassette, which I always thought was a terrible, terrible medium for accessing music, people, people started putting cassettes out again. <laughs> translating that to the training world, people have an, in many ways had an emotional attachment and their emotional values around in-person training. Yeah. What it signals to be given in in person training, as opposed to an e learning program, and and that's been quite hard for the industry to negotiate. I think this approach puts all that stuff into into focus in an interesting way. I think. Yeah, and uh, uh, I think it really helps with uh, clarifying also the assumptions that we have. So, looking at uh, technology, we might think that new generation of people they all like technology. They are all uh, easy going with technology. And I think that's an assumption that's not uh, always uh, the case. That's not always right. So uh, also looking at the solutions that you uh, create. Yeah, it's it's really helpful with the jobs to be done to 
clarify your assumptions and, and then afterwards test them and see uh, if you were right or wrong and take these uh, insights into account when you create your solution. Hmm. It's a big overlap with uh, UX design here, I think. Yeah. When you look in that context. The Learning Hack podcast is supported by Learning News, the learning sector's newswire. Rob and his team are good friends of the podcast, and we really value the help and advice we've had from them, and they do a great job. For the very latest news from around the learning sector, for interviews with learning leaders, the latest from learning sector vendors and features on workplace learning, go to learningnews.com. You know, it obviously relates to learning design. How does this approach play in the wider context of learning within an organization or institution? You men- mentioned organizational development and um, mm-hmm. an interview recently with somebody who in their organization wanted to bring together OD with, with L&D, and perhaps there's a trend there. Uh, but is there a conflict between the needs of organizational development and this approach, for instance? I mean, you know, so many conversations in within an organization about learning will be like, well, we've got to skill up in this area or we've got to bring these people up to to this and we want them to know this and we want them to feel that but this approach which is more kind of focused on the individual and is there a conflict there i don't think so uh i think that the framework essentially comes from marketing and innovation and those are also disciplines uh, that are about uh, changing behavior of people in marketing, especially, especially have yeah, want to uh, change behavior of people uh, buying uh, products or services. And I think also in OD and in learning, uh, the bottom line is that we want to change behavior of people yeah, so that it's more aligned with what the organization needs and wants. And I think also in OD, it's very useful to think about not only the uh, rational analysis of things, but also what are the social and the emotional aspects related to change, so to say. And so it will also be very helpful to do the analysis on these parts and take the uh, outcomes into consideration while uh, designing OD interventions. So what impact does this approach have on trainers and L&D professionals? Is a skills change necessary or is it just a change of attitudes and awareness? I think it starts with uh, attitudes and awareness. But of course, if you really want to apply it, uh, you need to build uh, some skills around it. But it starts with the awareness, I guess. And there are three things for me that uh, stand out related to this question. And the first thing is that what we already discussed Uh, I think uh, learning designers really want to focus on empathy, but until now, uh, they focused a bit too much in general, I think, uh, with their empathy. And so with jobs to be done, you can also focus on uh, the person related to the job that they have to do. So I think that's important and not having some empathy in general for people. Then the second one is... uh, that we are not focusing only on the rational part, but also on the emotional and the social part. And the third, we already discussed that one also, is that uh, we really take the context into consideration when uh, doing our analysis and uh, using that for the design. That all feels kind of 
in the in the neighborhood of attitudes and awareness um perhaps even behavior change but rather than an app an actual skills change yeah that brings me to i'm going to ask you the inevitable ai question i'm afraid um does ai have a role in this um, and it's perfectly okay to say no it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> i'm hesitant a bit because i i I have no clear uh, answer about it yet. And I think in general, we have no clear answers about uh, in which parts AI will, will play a role. And I think in all, all parts of our life. So I think also it uh, will be uh, yes uh, here, maybe one day, maybe not now. But yeah, I, but I can think of uh, in AI, there is also something like uh, sentiment analysis. Yeah? So... Mm-hmm. That relates to the emotional uh, and social uh, job to be done. So, yes, I I can think about uh, AI playing a role in this. Uh, that can assist uh, to uncover uh, jobs to be done and the different types of jobs to be done, so that it can help in uh, getting those aspects clear and using their using them for design. I think that's a, a really interesting to t- thing to highlight, sentiment analysis. Um, it's kind of a bit of AI that we overlook now because it, everyone's so kind of into the idea of content creation with, with, with yeah. AI. But um, the analysis side of it is is really interesting. And the fact that you could do a kind of large-scale, almost statistical analysis of the sentiment, say if you're looking at particular you know cohort groups of people that you're onboarding and and so on. How do they actually feel about that experience? What do they say about it? What do they report about it? It's an interesting thing to focus on, I think. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm experimenting quite a lot with prompt engineering uh, these days uh, to to feed into AI. But I didn't try it yet to uh, create a prompt where also the different jobs to be done elements are in. So uh, that's a nice uh, interesting <laughs> assignment for me. Thank you. Uh, I will try it, uh, John. Yeah. Someone told me the other day that as an interviewer, I'm a prompt engineer. I'm kind of prompting you as if you were GPT to to get the information. So in a way, we're all prompt engineers now. Yeah. Thus, it's usual to ask where people can best follow you. Um, we'll put your contact links in show notes. And if you have any useful links on the subject of jobs to be done, that'd be great as well. But mm-hmm. you also tell listeners about the people and sources you look to and listen to in developing your own knowledge about learning. You're a very well-connected person, Gerja, and you're, you're yeah. out there in your evangelism role. Um, so it's interesting to know what the water holes are where you, the water coolers and the water holes where you <laughs> learn stuff. Yeah, so it's part of my job and uh, it always has been a part of uh, my professional interest to connect to people and ID. So uh, uh, I use Twitter and LinkedIn a lot to uh, get my input. I like the Institute uh, for the Future, for, for uh, as to mention another one, uh, the Learning Guild. I listen to podcasts. In my role, I often go to conferences and there you not only... Uh, listen to the presentations but also have indeed the chats at the water coolers or at the coffee so uh, and what i often do is when i uh, i always have at least one or maybe two or three topics that are top of mind for me to dive a bit deeper in and for that i use uh, google alerts and so uh, 
Mm. I, I give Google Alerts uh, a word to trigger on, and then it sends me uh, resources every day about uh, what was what was uh, placed on the internet around that topic. And yeah, also LinkedIn groups. Sometimes when I think, okay, this is an interesting topic, and I want to learn more and more about it. I create a new LinkedIn group about it and invite people to join. And in the first uh, weeks, I post a lot myself uh, on the topic, try to find uh, interesting stuff and post it myself. And then when those LinkedIn groups are uh, growing, other people start sharing also. And so then it becomes also uh, input for me again. Uh, Interesting. It's a good methodology. I'm fascinated to know what the, the, the two or three topics you're uh, monitoring at the moment. Jobs to be done. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Prompt engineering. Yeah. And the other one, uh, you can see it uh, behind me, is a picture of Van Gogh. Uh-huh. So I live in the village where Van Gogh did, uh, made his first uh, masterpiece and where we lived for a few years and where his parents lived. So. Uh, I'm also a fan of Van Gogh, and uh, I also did some research about uh, how Van Gogh created his own learning path and also did some uh, presentations around that. And that's a topic that's still uh, also uh, top of mind of me to dive deeper into that uh, uh, that topic. That's really interesting. Thank you. And it's interesting that Van, Van Gogh or Van Gogh um, you know, we, we call you Cher, but I yeah. you say Van Gogh and not like the Americans and not Van Gogh. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to see that sit along the outside. That's the my other. empathy with the audience, uh, John. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, empathy with our um, North American listeners, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for taking the time today, Cher. It's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much. See you soon. That's all on the Learning Hack podcast for this time. Many thanks to our guest and to our sponsors. The Learning Hack is completely independent and transparently funded by sponsorship and your Patreon contributions. If you want to help others find us, please like, follow, rate, review and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice or on YouTube. And you can contribute at patreon.com forward slash learning hack. Our next episode is the last of the season before the summer break and it's a good one with the green transition moving into a new phase where fighting climate change is no longer an issue of international cooperation so much as a driver of global competition and geopolitical rivalries, we talk to a head of learning for one of the world's leading energy providers. Till then. Stay curious, learning people. Now I finally get it.